Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So I don't think you could ever guess what book we're going to be studying out of this morning. Uh, <laughs> Just kidding, it's Mark. Uh, (laughs) um, This morning we're going to turn to Mark chapter 2. And as we look at this portion of the life of Jesus, as told by Mark, we find that it is always the right time to do the right thing. And, you know, if you've been away for a few weeks or just joining us in the middle of the series, it would be easy to kind of wonder, why on earth are we stopping to focus on this particular point in Scripture? Why is this the, the thing that we're, we're stopping to look at? Uh, surely there are more areas of Scripture that are, that are more important. Surely there's something else that, that deserves our attention. But as we look at Mark 2, starting at verse 38, we find once again that there are religious leaders that are all eager to tell Jesus that he is being God wrong. And like we discussed last week, if you find yourself having more rules or more expectations than God, then you might be in trouble. There might be something that needs to be addressed in your life. If you find that you need to add additional complexity to how you are following Christ because it's not enough, then there's something that needs to be adjusted. So let's pause for a second and think about a hypothetical situation. So a young pastor within Foursquare comes to town and first time ever being a lead pastor within a church. And on his first Sunday, five people come to church, and and of those five people, five people make a decision to follow Christ. Awesome. 100% uh, at bat rate. That's, That's what we like to see. The next week, those five each bring five more friends to church, and those five people, uh, and that entire group of people makes a decision to follow Christ. And, and the exponential growth just continues to happen as we see hundreds and hundreds of people making decisions to follow Christ. And we say, that's, that's amazing. That's exactly what we want to see. And then one Sunday after church, one of the, the church leaders within Foursquare comes to the pastor and says, you know, I noticed that you're meeting at nine o'clock instead of 10 o'clock in the morning. And I don't think that's right, and you should probably change that. that that's probably not, not what we want. Also, I don't think that those flowers that are on the stage are really in the right spot. Those probably need to be moved over here. And, and really, I'm kind of concerned about a lot of the day-to-day running of this church that I'm seeing. And so, frankly, you probably just shouldn't be the lead pastor of this church to begin with. And so we're just going to remove you from it altogether. That would be insane, right? Like, obviously... That, that's a problem if that's the type of conversation that's happening. And, and, you know, sometimes when we look at it in that context, it's like, well, of course that's not the right way to, to respond. That's what's happening. As we look at what's happening in the, this specific chapter of Mark, we have people that are, are coming to Christ, that are, are beginning to understand what it means to be a follower of Christ, and yet we have these religious leaders that are coming and saying, yeah, but the flowers are in the wrong spot. Yeah, but you're not starting your service at the right time. 
Thank goodness we don't have people in the church today that focus on those sorts of things, right? Right? (laughs) But unfortunately, all too often, people are not focused on the proclaiming of the gospel, and rather, they are focusing on the fact that somebody else is sitting in their seat. Sometimes we let the smallest things cause us to look away from what it is that God has for us. And so in in this scripture, we're going to see the Pharisees look at God in the flesh and say, you really shouldn't do this thing on that day of the week. And some of you have probably grown up in the church. And when when we think of the word Sabbath... Sometimes you think of maybe the fourth commandment, right? Where in in Exodus it says, uh, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That's, That's the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. And can I say as a kid and, you know, in Sunday school and and probably just through like general pop culture church teaching, um, you hear that and kind of you immediately can jump to, I need to go to church on Sunday. That's, you know, a lot of times when in Sunday school, when we were talking about the fourth commandment and and honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy, that is equivalent to, I need to go to church. That, that's what honoring the Sabbath w- was kind of communicated to mean. And, and if you ask people that maybe aren't a- as, you know, involved in scripture, then that could potentially be something that they respond back to you with. But what we're going to see this morning is that maybe it's not quite like that. Maybe, maybe there's a little more for us to, to receive from that specific direction. And so we're going to look at that a little bit this morning. So starting at Mark 2, starting in verse 23, we're going to go through chapter 3, verse 6. One Sabbath, he, he, he being Jesus, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look at why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Starting in chapter 3, it says, And again he went and entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him. Can you just imagine that for a minute? Like specifically that portion of chapter three, there is a man who in your community who has been attending your church with a withered hand 
and you, I'll pray for you. You know, maybe, maybe there's something in your life that's caused that to happen. And here comes Jesus into the, the synagogue, and he heals the man's hand, completely restored on the Sabbath day. Can you imagine being so focused on the legality of whether or not that person should be healed on the Sabbath that you don't even recognize the fact that a man with a withered hand no longer has a withered hand? Well, that escalated quickly. (laughs) And so from here, we start working our way towards the cross. These men are taking their man-made rules so seriously that they are allowing them to completely blind them to the fact that the Messiah that they have been longing for, that they've been praying for, that they've been waiting for, is directly in front of them. Remember the Sabbath. So we have seven days of the week, right? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. If we go back to Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth, and he did that in how many days? He did it in six days, right? So he did it in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Was he tired? No, wasn't tired. Why did he rest? He rested because he knew that we would be. He rested so that he could, he could create a framework for which we would then show up and, and operate within, where we can live our lives within this framework of we're going to have seven, six days where things are being done, where tasks are being done, and there is a seventh day where it is time to step back and look at everything that has been accomplished and say, this is good. On Sunday, the first day of creation, he creates light. On Monday, he creates the skies and the waters. And on Tuesday, he creates the land. What's interesting about all three of these things, all three of these things are environments. They're they're places for things to go. And what we're going to see is after three days, there is something that lives in that environment. So three days after, he creates the light on Sunday. On Wednesday, he creates the sun, the moon, and the stars, and they dwell in that environment. On Monday, when he creates the skies and waters, we now have Thursday where he creates three days later the birds and the fish. And on Tuesday, when he creates the land, we then come three days later where he's creating animals and he's creating people that dwell in the environment that he's created. And then on Saturday, he rests. God creates, and then three days later, something goes into that space to enjoy what has been created, and then he rests on the seventh day. Now, as a pastor, anytime I hear three days, that, that should be a trigger for us, right? <laughs> and anytime we hear three days, we should say, and there, there's other things that happen in three days. Let's consider this move to the, the cross that, that is now being kicked off by these Pharisees and the Herodians who are saying, you can't do that thing that he just did. We know what day... Jesus was crucified, right? We, we call it Good Friday. What happened on Friday? Friday, man was created. 
He's laid to rest on the seventh day, which is a Saturday. He's in the tomb. Then we have Sunday. Sunday, when God says, let there be light. At the beginning of the day on Sunday, the stone is rolled away, the tomb is empty, and Jesus Christ is risen. Everything is changed forever, just on that specific point in time. Remember the Sabbath. If you look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, the Sabbath is, is preserving one specific day a week for rest in order to serve at full capacity for the rest of the week. Starting in verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh, the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in it, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. On the seventh day God looks back at creation and he says, this is good. And that's the instruction that we have been called to. Sometimes we miss out on the opportunity to step back and recognize this is good because we have so many things that we have to get done. Sometimes deep down there is this thought that I can't stop to rest because I'm too important. If I stop doing the stuff that I'm doing, the entire world around me will collapse. Everything that, that is happening around me will cease to exist if I stop doing what it is that I'm doing. So what level does that put you on? If you are so important that if you stop functioning, the world around you will stop to function. What, is, what are you saying with that statement? You're saying that you are on equal footing with God. Because that's God's role, is making sure that, that the world continues the way that it's supposed to continue. Thankfully, that's not on me. The Sabbath is a gift to remind us that we aren't God. In fact, God is going to provide for seven days when we only work six, just to make sure that we remember that we rely completely on him. God invited his people to trust him for that seventh day. And we, we see that lived out when the Israelites go out into the wilderness, right? They, they leave Egypt and they, they find themselves in the wilderness in, in the the rocks and the brush and the... See, Moses, we're hungry. Why did you bring us here? <laughs> Why did you take us out of captivity? We had food in Egypt. We had water in Egypt. We, we were cared for in Egypt. And God says, I will, who am I? <laughs> of course, I will care for you. You go to sleep and when you wake up, there will be bread on the ground. There will be food on the ground. And they wake up and there's this, this flaky stuff all over the ground. And it's like, what is that? 
And there was that one guy, we probably all knew that guy in school that would just like eat anything off the floor. That was probably the guy that they were like, hey, get Fred. He needs to come over here and like try this to make sure we don't all die. And so Fred puts it together. He eats some. He's like, yeah, this is pretty good. This will work. And God says, you will have this as long as you need it. Take what you need for this day and I'll provide for you for the next day. And the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that. But just take what you need for the day. And then there's those people who, yeah, but I might need some more. And so they gathered some extra. And then the next day they go to look at the extra, and it's full of maggots, and it's rotten, and it's nasty. And it's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't have done that. Let's just stick with what, what we were told to do. And then... God gives this specific instruction for the Sabbath day. Hey, you're supposed to honor the Sabbath. You're supposed to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. I don't want you going out to collect on the Sabbath day, and so I'm not going to send any on the Sabbath day. Make sure you collect enough for two days on this particular time, on on Friday. And I have to believe (laughs) that there were some people that were like, this feels like a trap. Because <laughs> I, 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 I got the, the two days worth last time and, and I got in trouble for that. So maybe we shouldn't do it this time. And then they go outside to go look and there wasn't any food. And God's like, I told you. <laughs> Come on, man. Get with the program. This Sabbath is a gift to remind us that God provides, that God provides in every circumstance, right? We just sing about it. God invited his people to trust him seven days for seven days of provision out of six days of work. He says, I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I will give you your daily bread. I ha- Can I tell you, I have seven days worth of stuff that could get done in a week. <laughs> if, if I look at my schedule, if I look at my to-do list, if I look at all of the different obligations that exist in my life, I could probably find a way to make seven days worth of work happen. <laughs> in fact, I could probably squeeze an extra eighth day into the week and still have enough things to get done. That's not what we're called to do. What God is calling us to is this Sabbath rest because I will always be more effective with that time of rest, with that time of stepping back and looking at at what has happened. When I get to return to the the agenda at hand when I'm rested, when I'm when I'm recentered and refocused on what it is that God has for me, that is when I am at my most effective. After Jesus' resurrection, the early church worshiped on Sunday, but did you know they still rested on Saturday? So this idea of of having this Sabbath, that remembering the Sabbath or honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy has really very little, if anything, to do with going to church on a Sunday. Going back to, you know, that Sunday school assumption that it means coming to church. I mean, is, is coming to church important? Yeah, as your pastor, I feel like it's maybe incumbent on me to say, yes, you should come to church. That's a good thing. But I can tell you that Sundays represent work to a lot of people. 
<laughs> okay? Sundays, a church service represents work to people in this room. It represents work to me. The focus is much less on the day and much more on the need for the rest. That is an awesome question, and it has to do with the way that they interpret some of the days of the week, and it has to do with a specific focus of, you know, them choosing to have church on a Saturday because of what they feel is is what's called out in the Scripture. But I think the point that we want to get out of this, and the point that I feel that we probably need to, to have out of this is that if Jesus is saying that the Sabbath is made for the man, not man for the Sabbath, it, what that means is that I am, the, the Sabbath is made so that, that I will be restored, so that I will be uh, rested, so that I receive and, and am able to operate at the capacity that God has designed me to operate. And if that's the focus, Is there some detriment to me observing that Sabbath on a Saturday versus a Sunday versus a Tuesday versus a Friday? There's not. Because the Sabbath was made for me. Thankfully, God didn't make the Ten Commandments and he was like, man, I need, some, I need somebody to follow this stuff. Like, we got to make people do this now. Why, were the, why was the, the book of Deuteronomy created? Why, why was that given to the people? Why was the, the law given to the people? The law was given to the people so that the people would be in a better place, so that the people would understand how they could live a life as God's people. Hey, I'm going to call you my people, and because I'm calling you my people, I need you to live a life that looks like it. So... If that's the focus, then what happens is over time, we, we've kind of interpreted the Lord's day as maybe when we are busy as the church instead of when the church is restful as individuals. That's, that's the, the kind of transition or problematic change that has taken place is, is we've kind of translated this idea of the Sabbath to being, yeah, it's when every, the church comes together and does a whole bunch of stuff. Is that in line with standing back, resting, and looking at what has happened in the day and saying, yeah, this is good? Or does that still need to happen at some other point? I think the, the argument is that that's still supposed to take place, guys. Now, okay, Western culture, here we are. We've, we took an hour out of the day and we did church. You took an hour out of the day. I've been here for a few already. <laughs> but if that's the case, does that mean, well, Matt says I can't have Sabbath on a Sunday now. No. If the rest of your day is saying, you know, I'm going to go home and I'm going to step back and say, this is, this is the time of rest that I've set aside in my week, then that's your decision to make. 
One thing that's interesting is when we, we talk about making the Sabbath holy, honoring the Sabbath, does that mean that I get to do whatever I want with the rest of the days of the week? So, okay, so I'm, I'm setting this day aside. Let's just call it Saturday for the sake of calling it Saturday. I'm setting Saturday aside, and that is my Sabbath. God, I'm giving that day to you. I'm choosing to rest. I'm choosing to, to do what I need to do to be able to step back and say, yeah, this is good. The, the work that you've done in this week is good. But I'm going to go ahead and do what I want to do with the rest of these days. Hmm. That doesn't sound right. If I have $10, we would, you know, according to the biblical uh, tithe, we would give a dollar, right? 10% of, of what $10 is $1. Math, I know, sorry. Um, does that mean that the other $9 is mine to do whatever I want with? No, everything, the $10 belong to God. I, I'm giving a, a tenth of that back for him to do uh, what he wants to do with, but he gets to do, tell me what to do with the other nine as well. Everything belongs to God. All of the other days belong to God, but we've been called to set this specific day aside. So coming back to the scripture for a minute, coming back to Mark, the Pharisees prioritize man-made rules over opportunities that were given by God. I mean, as we look at, at this first part of the scripture in the grain field, for some reason, this particular study has really highlighted for me why were the Pharisees there in the first place? <laughs> like, I just... We, we saw it last week when we were dealing with the, the party at, that Levi throws, right? And, and he's throwing this gathering for all of his friends. And, and on the outskirts, we have the, the Pharisees showing up. And it's like, who invited you? And then here we have the disciples walking through a grain field. And they're, they're picking some grain off the, off the stalks that are there. And I just imagine these Pharisees like shooting up like whack-a-mole out of the, the grain field. Like, ha! <laughs> caught you. <laughs> like, what were they doing there to begin with? What kind of, like, spiritual church leader stalker are you? Deuteronomy 23, 25 says that you're allowed to pluck a snack with your hand, just not with a sickle. <laughs> so, like... They, they were walking through the, the field. There's a law in Deuteronomy that says you're allowed to go through your neighbor's field and you can use your hand to pluck some kernels of grain off of the stock and eat it. You're allowed to do it. What you're not allowed to do is show up to your neighbor's field with a lawnmower and start cutting it down. Like, that's the distinction. Like, yeah, we're family and you're going to be allowed to eat the food from your family's field. So from a general standpoint of, is it right for them to be able to do just that on any day of the week? Yes. Technically, because of the laws and regulations that were added by the Pharisees, they weren't allowed to pull the grain. That wasn't a law that was from Deuteronomy. That was a law that was from the Pharisees. They decided to, to make it more difficult, make it more stringent, and you needed to have some extra steps to just to 
demonstrate how holy you were. And what we see here is the Pharisees coming saying, hey, you need to bow down to the rules that we have made. Do you know Jesus doesn't bow down to your rules? Jesus doesn't bow down to my rules. We bow down to his truth. So Jesus says that the Sabbath was made for us. It wasn't created as a rule to beat over the heads of the people that the Pharisees were supposed to be caring for. It was created for our benefit and our good. And so, by extension, if I have my disciples and I are walking through a field and they're hungry, but they're actively pursuing what it is that God has for them, they're actively working to further the kingdom of God and they want a snack, then they can have a snack even if it is the Sabbath. It's called understanding the spirit of why something has been given versus being so focused on the letter of the law, right? Spirit of the law versus letter of the law. We've probably heard that before. Why is the Sabbath given? So that we have rest and so that we're able to, to focus on what it is that has happened throughout the week that is good. That's why the Sabbath is there. It is Peter pulling a few grains off of a stalk of, of uh, wheat really going to stop him from observing the Sabbath time? Probably not. And that's, that's the, the point that Jesus is making here. The Sabbath is a gift of, here, I'm giving you something in a world where there's so much have to. You have to do this. You have to do that. There's this regulation that exists. There's this rule that exists. And, and what we see with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of this time is they, they kept adding on to the have-tos until even the get-to of the Sabbath was then a have-to. They were turning the gift that was given into a chore to the point where in order to be a follower of Christ, if you were going to follow their regulation, you had to be miserable in your pursuit of the glory of God. That, that was what they were shooting for, is that we want people to look miserable as they are following Christ. Well, not, not Christ at the moment, at God, but can I tell you that there are church leaders that even today, are implementing things extra. They're adding to that are making their followers miserable. And that's not a reflection of what it means to be a follower of God. If you're hungry on the Sabbath, be miserable for the glory of God. How does that... First of all, it's a terrible selling point. But is that really what God wants for us? Is that really the, the ultimate goal is for us to feel miserable in this life so that we have some great thing to look forward to later on? No. If we come back to that translation of shalom, of peace, God's highest and most perfect good for your life. That's, that's what he has for you. Not this. 
So these commandments that were made, these directions, they were made for man. Like I said before, God, God didn't make all of these commandments. He's like, man, we need, really need somebody to follow these rules. So let's create mankind in our image. The Ten Commandments and all of the other instruction in the Bible is for us. And if, as we look at God's commands, they, they give opportunity to promote God's glory. As we look at, at the commands that have been given, it's an opportunity for, when we are talking about honoring the Sabbath. Honoring the Sabbath should involve looking at what has been done in that period of time and saying, God, you were good in that area. God, you showed up in this particular need. God, you met this specific area of my life that, that I needed to be met. You, you were faithful in this particular situation. We can point back at time after time after time where God was faithful if we stop and look. But how often do we not stop and look? That's why we're given this command of, of honoring the Sabbath is because we've been called to, to stop back and look, step back and look at, at what he has done. But do we need to allow the legality, the extra rules to get in the way of, of what it is that God has actually commanded? To the point where when somebody's shriveled hand is healed right in front of you, you're more concerned about the rule that was broken than you are about the fact that the man's life has been changed. If we get to that point at Wood Street Chapel, you have my permission to remove me from this place. <laughs> that should never once be the focus. One quote that I found is that you should never let your convictions suspend your compassion. And I think that's, that's the, the focus here, that we should never let our, our focus on the rules, on, on the extra things that have been added, get in the way of what it is that God has for his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. God, we ask that, that we would have your heart and your mind Lord, that we would find those times throughout the week to step back and to rest and say, this is good. That you are good. God, that is the prayer of our heart, that, that you are good. We come this morning and, and we proclaim, God, that you provide in every circumstance. It's in your nature. It's who you are. It's what you do. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 